Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words. So listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am, as always, your host, Kim. We are back in Ontario for today's story, and I found this one when I was researching another case. This case piqued my interest because for me, it's an all too familiar tale of inquests and inquiries that make recommendations and then those recommendations don't happen because there is no accountability and the circle of tragedy continues. This is the murder of Jillian Hadley. There is this thing in Canada called a coroner's inquest. They are very rare, but they do happen. And what a coroner's inquest is, is a public hearing by a coroner to a panel of a jury that's made up of peer members from organizations with a stake in the game, if that makes sense. These inquests are mandatory if a person dies on, say, a job site or while in police custody or at a psych hospital or something like that but they are discretionary when basically it would be in the public's best interest to examine a death to see if they could make recommendations to prevent future deaths. And you could also request an inquest, like say if your daughter is found dismembered throughout the city and a coroner calls it an accidental overdose, like someone like Joey English. Now, not to sound cynical, but good luck with that. There is no time limit on them, so you could be waiting a while. And the death of Gillian Hadley prompted a discretionary inquest, which is a pretty remarkable thing considering how rarely that happens. She was also the subject of discussion at the Ontario Domestic Violence Death Review Committee. As we will see, Gillian was failed by a system that doesn't really do much with recommendations. In southern Ontario is a town of about 100,000 people called Pickering. And on Hillcrest Road in Pickering lived the Hadleys. Jillian Hadley, whose friends called Jill, was the mother of two children from her first marriage to Michael Ferez, Faith, who was eight, and Mike Jr., who everyone called Mikey. Mikey was deaf and blind and required a lot of undivided attention, so he lived with his dad while Faith remained with her mom. Jill was married to Ralph Hadley, a 34-year-old postal worker, and together they had a little peanut named Christopher Chase, who they always just called Chase. 
and he was turning one on June 23, 2000. Jill and Ralph had separated a few months prior, so on the morning of June 20th, 2000, her best friend, whom she had known since her school days, Kim Nicely, lived a couple of doors down. She came by to pick up Faith with her own daughter to walk them to school, which was just around the corner. Kim came by every morning around 8.45 to get Faith, so on that morning, it was no different than really any other morning. Kim came by, Faith gathered her school bag, and as they were walking out, Jill knocked from her bedroom window in her pajamas and waved at her. Jill watched Kim, her daughter, and Faith start to walk down the sidewalk, and then she got undressed and into the bathtub. At nine o'clock, a neighbor a few houses away named Catherine was outside in her yard playing with her little infant cousin when she heard screams of, help me somebody, please help me, and a dog barking wildly. Thinking someone was being attacked by a dog, she ran towards the street and looked down the road to see a woman, completely naked, holding a baby and running. A woman ran towards the naked woman and grabbed the baby from her arms, and another neighbor, Noel Gordon, who was only 18 at the time, heard the commotion on his street and looked out his bedroom window to see the same naked woman and the baby burst out of the front door of their house, which Noel described as almost diving out of the front door. A man had also come out of the house behind the woman. This woman was, of course, Jillian Hadley, and the man was her estranged husband, Ralph. At this point, another man, who refused to be identified, and I don't blame him, approached the driveway of the house where Ralph was now holding Jill's arms together and pulling her towards the house they once shared. Noelle and the unidentified man exchanged words while Ralph continued to pull on Jill, and at one point Noelle tried to pull Jill out of Ralph's grasp, and Jill was pleading with Noelle, please don't let me go, please help me. So Ralph pulled out a handgun and calmly pointed it at Noelle and the unidentified man who later said, quote, I've never seen anything like that before. There was no rage. He wasn't angry, end quote. Noelle and the unidentified man really had no choice but to back off, and according to the one man who said, I'm a father and I had to get out of there. Ralph then dragged a screaming and pleading Jill back into the house. Noelle said, shortly after we walked away, we heard two shots, and that was the end of them. Police immediately sealed off the area, warned neighbors to stay inside, and brought in the tactical unit. Police negotiators tried to contact someone in the house by telephone, but wasn't able to get an answer. Around 11 a.m., at least five tear gas canisters were shot into the home, but no one emerged. Just before noon, members of the tactical unit entered the house and found Jill and Ralph's bodies on the main level. Shortly after, her ex-husband, Mike, had the heartbreaking job of gathering up Jill's dogs and heading to the school to tell his daughter that her mom was gone. Also waiting in the wings for news was Jill's new boyfriend, who was not named in any of the sources. So, no living victim or perp means no court case. But a few things were discovered shortly after Jill's death that led some parent groups, women's groups, and legal analysts to demand a coroner's inquest. Kim spoke to the media shortly after she heard the shocking and devastating news of her friend's death. She said, quote, She had several restraining orders against him. The police told me not to talk about all of this, but that guy was a maniac. She was trying to get away. We did everything together. We did the baby thing. We shopped. We had coffee. We talked about kids. We talked about the future. Now she's gone. 
Kim also mentioned that later that day, Jill and her were supposed to go and look at houses in the Port Perry area because Jill was desperate to escape the wrath of Ralph, who had abused her on several occasions. The Durham Region Police had to concede that they had been to the house before to enforce a restraining order. And what somebody said was, quote, What we have here is a murder-suicide we believe resulted from a domestic situation, end quote. So let's go back a bit and examine a bit more about Jill and Ralph's relationship and maybe get some warning signs that were missed. Jillian and Ralph had grown up together in Scarborough. Uh, They had lived across the street from each other, and to this day, Jill's younger sister is still best friends with Ralph's sister, Lisa. From the time they were teenagers, Ralph had a thing for Jill and was even a guest at Jill's wedding to Michael back in 1987. According to his sister-in-law, he cried at her wedding because he knew he'd lost his chance to be with Jill. But in 1996, when he learned that Jill and Michael had separated, he quickly took his chance with her, and by October 1997, they were married. At the time of their marriage, Jill shared custody of Faith and Mikey, but the marriage showed signs of trouble pretty early on. In February of 1999, Jill pressed assault charges against Ralph for assaulting Mikey, who, remembered, is severely disabled. He was hit on his bottom so hard that it left bruises. He was six at the time. Ralph was released on his own recognizance on the condition that he not communicate with Mikey unless supervised by the Durham Children's Aid Society. He was also not allowed to be in the company of anyone under 16 unless an adult aged 21 or older was present but an exception was made for Faith for some reason. This became sort of a breaking point in their short marriage, as I'm sure it would be for you. Don't put hands on my kid. After Chase was born, Jill returned to work at an envelope company where her sister-in-law, Lisa, and her husband, Brian, also worked, and they all worked the night shift. Ralph's family is a bit interesting, to say the least. They are a bit over-involved in matters that don't relate to them. In fact, they purchased their, their house together with one of Ralph's cousins, and he would eavesdrops on Jill's calls and report back to Ralph about anything he thought he should know about. He actually kept a log of her comings and goings. So one night in early January 2000, Jill and Lisa went to a bar after work, and for whatever reason, they both wound up going home with a couple of guys that they met. Brian found out about it, and I'm not sure what happened between him and Lisa about it, but let's just say he didn't approve of the situation for Jill. So on the morning of January 7th, after work that day, Brian followed Jill to a diner where she met a girlfriend for breakfast. Then she dropped Jill off at a house in Ajax, the house of the same guy that she had gone home with a few nights before. So Brian went to Ralph's place and shook him out of a dead sleep and told him the address where Jill was. So long story short, Ralph found the two of them in bed together and calmly told her to get dressed and meet him outside. Now, I guess I'm not so opposed to telling your friend and brother-in-law that he's being cockled, but just tell him. Why do you have to tell him where and how he can go see for himself? Anyways, Jill did come outside and he slapped her across the face and then grabbed her and banged her head against the brick of the house. According to Ralph, quote, she broke one rule, so I broke the other. Apparently, when they had gotten married, they had made a pact that they wouldn't sleep around or get physical with each other. Jill called the police, and they took photos of her with a swollen and bruised face. He was charged with assault, but released before his bail hearing. 
Now, on that note, the officer involved testified that he believed that it was fine to release him because there was no evidence to destroy. He didn't think that the accused would reoffend within the next 24 hours. And Ralph's parents had offered to temporarily accommodate him at their house in Scarborough. And because he had a responsibility to continue to pay for the mortgage on the house and the upbringing of their children. Quote, there was no mention that weapons controlled drugs or alcohol was a factor. It was the right thing to do at the time. Now, there is a mandate that accused abusers are to be arrested and charged uh, and held for a bail hearing. But that officer said, quote, it's a problem in the court that there's a backlog of persons waiting for their bail hearings. And then he added that he didn't have a copy of the memo that told him of that mandate. Now, he acknowledged that he knew about Ralph's previous criminal charge, which was concerning uh, Mikey, but he believed that the boy's life was not at risk because he was in the care of his father. Now, he also didn't know, because he didn't ask, that Ralph had a firearm acquisition certification, and he admitted that he was aware of the statistics on how many women are killed by their abusers in the months after separation. But he added, quote, having been 27 years on the job, I can read an individual well. In my mind, I felt that Jillian's safety and the safety of her children were not in jeopardy at all. In all domestic assault incidents that I've investigated, this is the first one that went this way, end quote. Now, things start to escalate pretty quickly after that January assault uh, and his release. Ralph took some financial documents and jewelry from the house before he left to go to Scarborough to stay with his parents, strictly out of spite. So when Jillian tried to apply for welfare to support her and her kids, she wrote in her application, quote, when my husband left the premises, he took all personal papers regarding the house as well as mortgage papers, banking information, divorce papers from my previous marriage, taxes, support order, as well as clothing, jewelry of mine and my children's. Um, And of course, that made applying for anything nearly impossible, including subsidized housing. Once Ralph was out of the house, well, that kind of started to make matters worse, as Lisa and Brian, despite knowing Ralph's hair trigger rage, would often drive by Jillian's house and pass information about any cars parked there back to Ralph. Meanwhile, Ralph was at his parents' house doing really nothing but watching TV and playing video games and being fed information about Jill's whereabouts and what she was doing. Ralph's dad, Gerald, wasn't any better and repeatedly told Ralph, just fucking kill the little bitch. During the time that he was awaiting the trial on that orig- that as- the assault charges, Ralph was ordered to attend an anger management program at the John Howard Society. His counselor, Patricia Andrus, uncovered a few disturbing things about Ralph, like that he said he didn't have a problem with anger management and spoke of himself often as a victim, calling his wife a slut and a tramp, all while saying he had very high morals. Despite having a rather dysfunctional family upbringing, he described his family as rather idyllic. He felt everyone was picking on him, and most disturbing, he told Patricia that he didn't need to stalk Jill because his cousin lived there and would report to him about her activities, visitors, and even listened in on her phone calls. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. A prosecutor recommended a 60-day sentence for the January assault, but instead was put under a restraining order in order to stay at his parents' house in Scarborough and to have no contact with her. Well, between February 9th and the 22nd of February, Ralph broke the restraining order a number of times, and he was collected by the police and released from custody under a few conditions. No communication with Jill and five of her friends to stay away from her home, including the entire city of Pickering, and he couldn't use a cell phone or any form of mobile device. But a few weeks later, Jill was awoken at 3 a.m. to find him standing at the foot of her bed. Jill, of course, tried to flee the house to go to the house of Irene Owen, who is Kim Nicely's mum. But on one occasion when she arrived, Irene said, quote, he beat the hell out of her. Her whole face was swollen and bleeding. He is a maniac and I hope he's in hell, end quote. Jill's ex-husband testified at the inquest that, quote, he used to hang around her house and hide in the bushes. In the last four months, she had to change her phone number three times. She confided everything to me. I tried to protect her as much as I could. She was a loving person. She loved her kids to death. She didn't even think of herself, which showed when she ran out on the street naked, end quote. Now, Jillian repeatedly called social services because she was desperate to get out of the home and away from where Ralph could find her. But there was no subsidized housing available, and there was no women's shelter near her home, and none anywhere, apparently, that could accommodate her disabled son. So eventually, she was actually told to stop bothering them for social housing. At the time, she was living on about $300 a month from the child tax benefit, plus a little bit of child support from her ex-husband. Ian DeGreer, who was one of the children's aid workers who had worked with the family between 1997 and 2000, mostly regarding Mikey, learned from Faith, Jill's oldest daughter, that she was terrified of Ralph. She was seven at the time, and she revealed that he had shoved her on a number of occasions. Because Jillian was stuck living in the house with Ralph's cousin in the basement, he denied her access to the downstairs to do laundry, and because she feared and suspected that Ralph was breaking into the house, She had all the locks changed and had to send her son to go live with her ex-husband full-time, which was heartbreaking for her, but really in his best interests. Because of Ralph's repeated breaking of the restraining order, he was charged with criminal harassment in late February of 2000. So Durham Police Constable Cheryl Carter told Ian DeGreer of her concerns about Jillian's safety, and Ian had told the inquest of those concerns, he had been told that there was nothing of an evidentiary value in it, so they didn't do anything. Quote, it was the first time I'd heard someone say he's going to kill her. I didn't necessarily believe it right away, end quote. Now, Ian had brought this up to the attention of the assistant crown attorney, but he didn't think it was relevant for the courts to know about it. Again, because he felt that there was no evidentiary value. So Ian tried to enroll Ralph in a program called New Choices, which is a men's support group. 
But because he hadn't yet been convicted of anything, he wasn't able to do that because new choices is reserved for men going through the criminal court system. The family lawyer, Ken Dudka, that was that dealt with the first child abuse case, testified about Ralph um, that from his dealings with him, quote, he could go from zero to 60 with his temper. The transformation could be frightening. He was literally scarlet for 30 seconds or so, and then it abated. It was very frightening to me. People look at this as a domestic violence situation, but for the longest time, it was a child abuse case. Now, Jill's friend Kim gave the most heart-wrenching testimony of all. She told the inquest that Jill had all but been abandoned by her friends and family for having that affair. Uh, She changed her phone number twice, and she was trying to find a new home in Port Perry to get away from Ralph, who, despite a restraining order from the courts, still stalked her and phoned her constantly. She had all her belongings boxed up in May and was ready to go house hunting with Nicely on the morning of June 20th, 2000. She testified that since their marriage, quote, he was very verbal, very aggressive, and would run outside yelling and screaming at Jill. Jill never yelled and would ask Ralph to calm down, but she was getting sick and tired of it, end quote. Now, Ralph, of course, was charged by police again in April 2000 for again violating the restraining order but was released soon after to continue his harassment. Kim said, quote, he should have stayed in jail. If he had stayed in jail, this would not have happened, end quote. Going back to the day of the murder itself. On that morning, witnesses say that Ralph was hopping, seen hopping fences to get to the house as soon as Kim left with Faith. And behind the house, investigators found a bag, which he left behind. In the bag were a few odd things, including... 13 pairs of women's underwear, a pornographic magazine, three rolls of duct tape, surgical gloves, a dog collar with a ring on it engraved with their October wedding date, nylon ropes, pliers, and a six-page letter written by Ralph, among other things. Crown prosecutors said that, quote, it may well be that he had more in mind than the murder of Gillian Hadley and classified the findings as disturbing. When told of her mum's death with no details given, little eight-year-old Faith said, quote, I want to know when and how Ralph killed my mother, end quote. And when Brian, Ralph's brother-in-law, was informed, he said, shit happens. As for Ralph's suicide note in the bag, which was six pages long, he rambled on about how their marriage had failed because of her and that she was immoral, selfish, and an unfit mother. Ralph said that he had no choice but to kill his wife and himself, and according to this rambling last audio tape statement played for an inquest jury, quote, I really didn't have a choice. The law would not provide me with enough time with Chase to counteract Jill's influence, and if I am to save his soul, this is the only way. The threat must be eliminated. The darkness of death will soon consume me, but my soul will rejoice within the body of my son, and I will live in the light of his love for the rest of eternity, end quote. He had also written a detailed plan about how to break into the house, where he knew that she was going to be alone with Chase at about 9 a.m., and the plan included waiting until Faith had left and gone to school, and then he cut the phone lines. Quote, I'm going to try and end this as quietly as I can, but I know something is going to go wrong. It always does. And then his last request was to have his ashes mingled with Jillian's and spread over Lake Cashawigamong, where we spent our honeymoon and I'm sure one of the happiest days of our lives. 
so that was the murder of Jillian Hadley. So what did this in coroner's inquest into Jill's death accomplish? Well, very little. It was published in February of 2002 and made a series of recommendations, which I won't bore you with all of them. But the first and most important thing they did is recommend a committee to oversee the recommendations made, which they did. Ontario and most provinces now have a domestic violence death review committee, but they have little authority to make sure that the other agencies do what they've been recommended to do. Basically, once a woman is killed by domestic violence, they review the case and make further recommendations, and those recommendations are just a revolving list of the same recommendations they have been making since 2002 when the inquest was completed. The recommendations are split into different agencies. So the police are recommended to have better recruit training and to complete their investigations into domestic violence by not having to obtain witness statements and gather evidence first and to change the classification of domestic violence calls to without delay responses. Prosecutors and bail services are recommended to be available on weekends and holidays and that bail be withheld if a victim shows that she fears for her safety and that there is a bail hearing notification system so that the victims know exactly when a hearing is and if the perpetrator has been released on bail. Um, They also request that the family law actually amend their best interest of the child reforms to actually consider the effect of domestic violence on their interests and not the interests of keeping the family intact and to coordinate between family and criminal law cases. Wouldn't that be something? And of course, there's a bunch of requests for better funding for subsidized housing, shelters, and victim services. Services for men like anger management need to drop their court mandate through criminal proceedings barrier and make it accessible to those that volunteer or are referred by other agencies. So that's a big one, I think. One of the biggest recommendations that were made and that were actually done was the establishment of risk assessment tools Now, every province uses different risk assessments, and they do different things with these assessments. The purpose of these puppies is to, number one, develop an appropriate safety plan and to respond to threats for victims, and number two, raise awareness among frontline police officers regarding the issues and risk factors surrounding spousal violence and provide evidence for pretrial and post-sentence decisions, assist in developing risk needs plans for spousal violence offenders. I happen to have some experience with these tools used in Alberta. During my divorce, I lived pretty much what Jillian did. However, I was finally able to get a judge that took our case as a management case, which meant that I didn't have to keep telling my story each time I was in front of the courts. Uh, This judge knew the history and was able to put an end to my trauma. However, before that happened, my life was a complete nightmare. But one police officer actually saw the danger that I was in and put in a referral to the Domestic Violence Risk Assessment Unit. But I didn't hear anything, so I called them and I discovered that they had reviewed my file and determined that I didn't fit their criteria. Now, why would that be, you ask? Well, because my ex wasn't currently before the courts for any criminal violence, only the family courts at that point. And they didn't have enough information on him to really make a good assessment of my risk. So at that time, I ended my call by saying, so when you find my body in a dumpster, then will I fit your criteria? Now, of course, I know that I wouldn't have then because I would have just had a domestic violence death review report instead. Because 
What I found out many years later is that Alberta uses the Family Violence Risk Checklist, which requires access to a complete evaluation of prior circumstances, things like previous violence, um, the age, age of the first violent incident, major mental illness, prior supervisation failure clinical scales, non-compliance with remediation attempts, etc. Whereas in BC, they use the threat assessment questions for field personnel, which is less backgroundy and more user-friendly. They look at current stat- the current status of the relationship, things like are there recent past or pending separations? Has the accused displayed jealous behaviors? Has the accused ever hurt, injured, threatened to hurt a victim, family member, or another person, or an animal? Has the accused ever abducted, threatened to abduct the children? And has the accused ever strangled or bitten the victim? And also, on the victim side, is the victim socially, physically isolated, unwilling to leave the home? So the tools that they use are more along the lines of what hasn't happened yet and not what has happened in the past but that's just my opinion. And if you wanted to know, under the BC Risk Assessment, I had 13 of the 28 markers, making my risk of being murdered just under 50%. So they probably still wouldn't have done anything for me, but maybe take me a bit more seriously when I said, I think he wants me dead. But alas, I got out, and you can too. It just takes a bit of self-advocacy because you will likely encounter people in agencies that don't consider the what-ifs. But you can do it. If you see yourself in any of Jill's story, please reach out for support until you find someone that will help you. Never give up. The world is amazing when you aren't being abused. And I will be back again next week with another case. Until then, thank you so much for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.